do you predominantly uh, officiate in whichever chapter or region you're, you're which you're assigned or do you travel all over the state Leonard, you're the signer so why don't you question so yeah typically we uh, officiate in our region or our area um, for like the central the Albuquerque group they're a little bigger association so they actually kind of fill in and uh, cover games uh, throughout the state um, you know because like in Farmington I have you know anywhere from 23 to 30 officials any given year and then you know in Gallup I'll have you know 12 to uh, 20 at the most on a good year so you know and we have quite a few games to cover mm -hmm. um, so I mean, on a busy night, you know, I'll need like 50, close to 60 officials just to cover for our area. And if I can't, then I'll reach out to the central region and they'll cover games for me. Do they pay for travel? Yes. You have to go from Yeah, so uh, you'll get compensated. You know, the driver will get mileage. Uh, everybody gets a per diem for meals, you know, over a certain amount of miles and um and a rider's fee so so you get extra really? 20 30 bucks yeah thrown on top and the driver gets gets his mileage so yeah it kind of kind of pays to travel a little bit what's what's the typical uh, high school varsity game fee um it went up last year so we we're getting uh 75 i believe a game and uh and then you know sub uh was like 60 i believe or 50 i can't really remember mm -hmm. now but uh when i first started it was like I think it was like 54 dollars or something or 60 60 a game or something like that yeah right so if you travel you know you get your mileage and things on top of that and it was uh made for a decent decent night Okay, guys, we got, oh, go let me jump in. Uh, we got six o'clock. I want to welcome everybody to the AFOA um, broadcast. Uh, Dennis, you want to say something? Then we'll go straight to Leonard to introduce our guest. Yeah, so like I was saying before, thanks, uh, Frank, for for joining us. Uh, Dana Pappas wishes she could be here, but she had other obligations tonight. So she just wanted me to tell you that she appreciates you talking to the New Mexico officials. Um, and that I'm sure she'll request this video and, and listen to what you had to say um, at a later date. All right. So good evening, everybody. Uh, my name is Leonard Longhorn. I'm the Northwest Regional Assigner. Um, and I got my good friend and uh, mentor, Frank VR, tonight. Um, just a little history. I met Frank last year. I was a part of the uh, Stars and Stripes Academy. He was our uh, our mentor, and we were on his his crew. So we did uh, weekly conference calls, uh, rules, and video study, and things like that. And uh, I actually met him face to face at the uh, National Referee Clinic last year in Dallas. And uh, he's he's a real good friend. I can uh, shoot him a text during the week when I ain't got nothing to do. Just want to bother him and he always gets back to me and uh whether it's football or anything else he's always 
he's always willing to talk and uh you know reach out so uh frank's uh pac-12 used to be a pac-12 umpire now he's a referee recently promoted uh, he had a few games last year where he was a referee and uh as you guys see in his bio he's worked last year's national championship game as an umpire um the 2019 all-state sugar bowl 2018 sugar bowl and uh so he's you know well accomplished and uh and appreciate you coming on tonight frank and uh we'll go ahead and let you take over well, thank you lucky uh, for those of you who don't know Leonard's uh crew name last year was uh, was lucky lucky longhorn and that, that kind of that kind of stuck so feel free to use it uh, as you see fit but again i want to thank you for for inviting me uh, i've always felt that when you have an opportunity to, to, to help other officials, regardless of the level, um, then, then you as well are imparting your knowledge, but you're also reinforcing the things that you've learned. And, and that was instilled in me by several officials who mentored me. Ken Rivera, who I think um, many of you know, started the Reno camps way back in 2000, um, was instrumental in that, and that's always been his his passion is helping officials. Uh, former supervisor of officials and current NFL referee Tony Karani um, was an ed himself was an educator. Always felt that part of being in the in the Pac-12 was you had a fiduciary responsibility to give back to other officials, your local association, and do what you can to, to help promote the, uh, the art of officiating as you want. So. Thank you very much for the opportunity and like you said i get just as much out of presenting things as is as uh, i do from sitting in on the presentation it really kind of helps reinforce things that i've learned and feel free to ask questions because you know i may gloss over something or i may omit something and then i also have a chance to um so and and i'll leave uh, time at the end for, for questions so if I may start to share my screen, um, we'll get started if I can do this correctly. So on the bottom of your screen, Frank, there should be a little uh, square with the up arrow. Yeah, so let me pull this one up here real quick. Popping up? We got you. Okay. Not being it to advance. Let me try something real quick. Do you see what's on the screen or do you see just seeing me? No, we can see your screen. We can see your cursor moving around. 
Yeah, I'm not able to get it to start. Not sure why that is. Go down to the bottom. Oh, here we go. Yeah, there you go. Do I need to do anything on this bottom right? Bottom right, there's a little uh, TV, one far, farthest to the right next to the volume. Mm -hmm. And you click on that and I'll make it a full screen. No, go over a little bit to your left. So more up, up now, up one, right there. Click on that. Not working. Or just double click your first slide. Almost like it's frozen. I apologize. Well, the title of it is called The Hub. The Hub is uh, the Empire in, in, in uh, five person mechanics. Right, you're working five officials? Correct? Yes, we work five. Five-man okay. uh, five crews. Yeah, and it's it's uh, also applicable to, to seven or eight, but the Empire is the hub, and everybody knows what the hub of a wheel is, correct? It's the center. Let me try this again. That was your clock, okay. I don't think I have any PG jokes right now. <laughs> you want to try to email it to me, and I could I could run your slideshow. Dennis, did you say email it? Yeah, if you want to email it to me, I could run your slideshow. Talking about um, the first slide. Big of the film. Let me, I need to apologize for this. Hey, Frank, while you're working on that, uh, can you tell us how you got started in officiating? I started in baseball. 
back in 1991, I started as a baseball official. I was at a substitute teacher at a, uh, at a high school and we were working now. Uh, substitute teacher at a high school, and when my contract ended there, I began my job at a special ed school, which doesn't have after school program. And uh, I was going to take a year off and look for a, maybe a walk on coaching position. And I saw an ad in the paper for baseball umpires. And I went to the, the general meeting and had a couple guys, and uh, they convinced me that it would be a lot of fun, and they were right. Started uh, working. Freshman JV baseball and and loved it. Next year signed up again, and a couple of the baseball officials told me I should start football. So in '93 I started working football, and back then there were a lot of officials, so you had to work your first uh, first year pretty much uh, for free. There were there were enough officials back then to work for four officials in lower division. And all the new officials would kind of shadow or, or work for free. I worked a ton of games and then I just started working in high school. It was a lot of fun. Started working varsity games after about six years. And then in, uh, I started one of the officials uh, in our association was the crew chief for the USC home games for the chain crew. And he asked me one day to film. Run for somebody, and it was a blast. And I was on that working their home games for a few years, and I thought, you know, watching those officials out there, the pack, pack ten officials back then, it looked like they were having fun, and I, I had an interest in, in college football. I joined the association, started working junior college in 2000, Division three, and uh, 2005, and and Ken Rivera hired me in 2008. Mountain West. I worked in Mountain West in Big 12 and, uh, and then was hired in the Pac 12 in 2012. All right, let's see. Let's see if this will work. All right, bingo. You see that? Yes. Okay, the hub. I wanted to go back. All right. So talking about the umpire and the hub being the center of the wheel, you're the center of the crew. Uh, everything kind of flows around the umpire. The umpire should effectively have knowledge and see everything that goes that goes on. The referee is primarily responsible, you know, for taking care of the quarterback uh, and, and getting the information that's that's necessary when it comes to penalty enforcements. But the umpire is really the one who everything flows around the umpire. And I always like to tell officials with whom I'm working and I'm, I'm sort of lucky you heard this plenty of times last year, you have to own your position. You have to own uh, the position of umpire, just like any other position. You have to own it, meaning you have to know the mechanics. You have to know uh, how your area areas of responsibility change, depending on the type of play that's, that's presented. And you have to know the other Intricacies of working a position. Line scrimmage officials have to know how to deal with coaches. Umpires have to know how to manage and deal with the kids inside. 
And the referee has to be able to manage effectively everything else, the crew, and as well as the coaches. So all of those things that, that go into working your position, you have to own them and make them your own. And as I present these things, if, if, if some of the things make sense to you, great. If, if not, you know, ask questions later, but don't be afraid to try new things and, and to make them your own. How you know, my mentor, how he works a game is different than, than how I work it, but I took a lot of things that he did and adapted them to my personality and my style and made them work. Some of the things I tried I didn't like, I couldn't adapt, but, so I didn't use it because you know, it, it just wasn't, it didn't fit into my, my style and the way I think. My pre-snap routine is fairly short, but that's because I can remember it and it becomes automatic. Whereas I know some other officials have more detailed pre-snap routine, but they can remember it and, and that works for them. Okay. And so on every play, you are in, as an umpire, you're interacting with the crew and you're interacting with the players. You're where I, right there, you are a focal point. Meaning the umpire, you're a focal point. People are watching the game from the stands. You're right in the middle and you stand out. You want to stand out in a positive way. You want people to see them, see you as the umpire, as someone who is moving around, who's athletic who's hustling, who's, who's engaging with the players, who's keeping order. You And the R, also for the referee, you're a focal point as well. And that, that is even more, emphasized more when, when it comes to family enforcement because everybody is looking to you. You're the center of the action as the umpire. Um, you're right in the middle of everything that happens. Every once in a while, you're up, you get up close and personal with the players. You can tell this was quite a while ago because of the knickers. <laughs> Every once in a while, that's going to happen. You got to enjoy it. Again, you're the center of activity. The whole crew, everything revolves around you. The hub or the umpire uh, has to. You have to be a good communicator, not only with the players, uh, but with your crew. And you have to be a good source of information for your referee because as an umpire, you see what's going on. Oftentimes, a referee is back with the quarterback, maybe hears the roar of the crowd, or doesn't hear anything. First person that that person that the referee is going to look to should be the umpire. Let the referee know what the result of the play was. Complete pass, or it's complete pass downfield, and there's penalty marking. You check with the linesman um, when it looks like it's. You know, maybe close to being five yards to the line to gain. Get that information. Set that up before before the game starts, and and uh, have a little hand signal or some way. If you're using the radio, communicate with the lineman if, if it's beyond or behind the tape. <clears throat> then you communicate to that that to the referee. So if there's a offside and it's it's less than five yards. You've already given the referee that information. He doesn't, he doesn't have to ask. There's no delay. He knows it's going to result in a case. Box status. You know, that's with the back judge, ball relays. Uh, you're in charge of all of that. And the players. Be a good communicator with the players. Remember that they're kids. 
develop a style that's you know, that, that, that's comfortable for you, but is effective in communicating with these kids. I mean, football is an emotional game. Players oftentimes get emotional. When when emotions run high, intelligence runs low. As officials and especially as the umpire, when you're in in the sea of emotion, you have to be the calming effect. You have to be calm and keep your level of intelligence, keep your wits about you. That's one of the most important things that I can convey to you. If, if you get one thing out of this, is to remain calm when all around you are, are starting to lose their rational thought. And that will really take you a long way in officiating if you can do that. The hub, the umpire, your focal point. And there's things to focus on before uh, before the game, during the game, and then even after the game. And it starts with your pregame, even before that. For a lot of us, it starts you know, the, the week of a game. Travel arrangements, who's driving, where are we meeting, do you have a double header? And then when you get to the pregame, and you have to own your position, and you need to share, it's important that you share with your crew what uh, what are some of the things that you need to effectively manage the game? What kind of communication do you need from your line of scrimmage official? And at the same time, express to them and let them know what you're going to do to help the crew function efficiently. You know, what what do you do on penalty? You know, review how you handle measurements, how you deal with the players. That all starts in pregame. You have to share that information with the crew. You know, back in the day when I first started, it was always a referee-dominated pregame. And uh, you know, I'm sure there are still some referees around who who, who run their pregames that way. But now it's it's much more effective if your pregame is a a joint effort by everyone. Everyone needs to chime in and express what their expectations are, what works with them, what they're going to do to help the crew. And sometimes you're going to have to make minor adjustments. You might have to alter your game a little bit to fit in with the, with the rest of the crew. Lucky, do you guys work in crews all year, or do you work with different people each week? Uh, this past year, uh, my association up here, we uh, ran in set crews. But, you know, for sub-varsity, things like that, we work with anybody and everybody. Okay. And so that goes, even if you're working as crews, every week I think it's important to, to discuss certain things in pregame that, that went well, that worked well the week before, and what you can improve upon and take charge of that as an umpire. Your keys, they start the engine, just like your keys to your vehicle starts the engine. But once the play starts going, once you start hitting the road, you've got different areas of which you have to, to watch out for. Just like you're driving, you have to. You know, when your car's going in one direction, you have to look over here. Same thing with once the play starts. You now go from where your keys started, the engine, to your areas of responsibility. And that depends on the play. The pass play, is it, a, is it a run play? And if it's a run play, is it between the tackles? Or is it a stretch play? Is it a sweep? You have to, you know, the keys are important to, to get you started. But once that play develops or starts, you now go to an area of responsibility as opposed to staying with your one key. If we do that, we're going to miss something, especially with five officials. There's, there's less people out there to watch 22 players. 
you really have to to widen your vision and start to focus on, on a bigger area of responsibility. Dead ball officiating. Uh, as an umpire, it, that's, that's essential. You really have to kind of have your head on the swivel. You know, as umpires, we know we're not responsible for forward progress or marking this part of the ball. So, you know, we should be looking up instead of, you don't need to look at the pile. And I call that, you know, don't be a Gomer pile because, you know, what does Gomer pile say? What does he always, right? You don't want to be surprised by any kind of dead ball action. You want to have your head up and you want to see what's, what's happening. You don't want to all of a sudden hear that crash and say, Shazam, what happened? And you just missed a you know, huge dead ball foul. Segments. Segments we used to refer to as chunks. I mentioned before Tony Carini. He and Carl Chuppers had, had, have a presentation where they talk about their chunks, where they talk about their segments of each play. And when you break it down in, in this way, it, 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 makes a, it makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like the, the ABCs of, of how to officiate a play. Just like I said, it starts before your game. It starts with your pregame, the things you're going to discuss. And then you have your pregame, your, or excuse me, your pre-snap routine. What are your pre-snap segments? I just have a few examples here. You know, where is the ball? Where is the position of the ball? And one thing I would suggest to umpires is that you always spot the ball in position one, two, three, four, or five. If you don't know what that that is, we refer to those positions um, being the, the hash mark number one is always the hash mark on the press box side of the field. Position two is aligned with the upright closest to the press box. Position three is smack dab in the middle of the field. Position four is the upright furthest from the press box. And position five is the hash mark opposite the press box. And I would suggest that you always put the ball in one of those spots. You know, don't, don't you know, split hairs, don't put it you know, two and a half, three, whatever. All you have to do is, is move the ball maybe a yard and a half and you're right in that position. That helps your referee. That helps you being able to go back to the previous spot. It's just a lot cleaner. But that's part of your pre-snap. Where's the ball? And when do you move your lateral indicator? For me as an umpire, as soon as I spotted the ball or as soon as the ball was spotted, I changed my lateral indicator where that was. Okay, I counted. When I counted, when I was finished with my count, I put up my left hand, which had my lateral indicator. That reminded me, did I change my lateral indicator? I put my hand out. That was another reminder, because for me, that was the most important thing to make sure I knew where the ball was. Are all three teams ready? The offense, the defense, and your officiating team. And was, there, was, was there a punt? The back judge is, is all the way back getting his beanbag and, and he's still not in position. Be cognizant of that and make sure the referee knows. Don't let, don't let the team snap the ball if your officials aren't ready. I'm counting on my habits. Again, you want to, do, you want to develop your pre-snap routine so that it becomes a habit, so that you don't have to think about it. A habit is an unconscious act. 
that you just automatically put the ball down, change your indicator. As you're doing that, you're looking at your referee. You're making eye contact. There's, there's nothing going on. You can come off the ball. And you're starting your count. You signal. You remind yourself about your lateral indicator. And you find your keys as they're coming up to the ball. Are you using the 40-second clock in uh, New Mexico? Yes, sir. Okay. So really, there's no need for the umpire to hatch the ball. Uh, you, you still don't have the substitution mechanics in, in high school, correct? They haven't gotten there yet, right? That's correct. Okay. So you don't have to hatch the ball. As, like we used to see in the old days, the umpire would stay over the ball, the referee would count to, to three, put the ball ready for play, and then the umpire would back out. You don't have to do that. Um, just be in an area where if you have to, for whatever reason, you can prevent the snap. Well, you can do that from three or four yards away. But but develop this routine and develop these good habits as part of your pre-snap routine. And so the last thing for me in my pre-snap routine is, you know, I, I would say to myself the numbers of my of my guards. I knew the center was, but I would just, in my head, you know, 67, 71, clean snap, and then the play goes. And that starts the engine. My keys just started the engine. During the play, if the read and react to the play, what kind is it? I mentioned before, if it's a run play, what kind of run play is it? Is it a stretch play or is it a run between the tackles? Your responsibilities are different depending on that type of play. If it's, if it's between the tackles, you're helping with a point of attack. If it's a stretch play uh, in five officials, you're helping uh, backside or frontside depending on, on which way the play is going. Um, you have a pass play. You know, we have different responsibilities. I'm not a big fan of, of the umpire coming up to the line of scrimmage. I don't think it's necessary until it's absolutely necessary. Meaning the quarterback starts to scramble and it looks like he might uh, he might be coming up to the line of scrimmage and he's going to pass. And maybe you make an effort to get up there. Otherwise, uh, if your focus is on getting up to the line of scrimmage and you're losing focus on the action, that's what's kind of in front of you. And the last point I made there, scream, that refers to that, word that uh, refers to a screen pass. I, I, I hate those. Because all of a sudden everybody starts running right at you and you got to get out of the way. Uh, you got to drive through your progressions and flow through traffic. What that means is you're, you're now driving the car. You've already started the engine with those keys. And you're driving and you're looking out for new, for, for new trouble areas. Where's your area of responsibility on a stretch play? You're now going to those areas and you're flowing with the play. Umpires have to be active and mobile. So when the play moves to one direction, flow with it, keep yourself in a position, work to get the angles to see the action, to see the critical block. Standing still and, and letting the play go away you know, 15, 20 yards from you, isn't really going to help. Flow with the play. You don't have to spread, but flow, and then move. The hash marks aren't aren't a boundary. So I would I would expect, and when I work with the officials out here, the high school level, I expect the umpires to get outside the hash marks when when necessary. 
Um, see their hazards ahead of you. As the play starts to wind down, look for the one player who's not slowing down. Keep your head up. Don't be a gomer pile. Look up and see who that one player is who's not slowing down. The one who's looking to punish someone. Uh, pick up those big dead ball fouls. And if, if any of you are familiar with uh, Old Durham, Nuke Lelouch wanted to announce his presence with authority. That's what, as an umpire, could be one of your, your, your greatest attributes, is to be vocal. For me personally, it took me a while to develop that habit. Because I wasn't naturally someone that had a big voice. It had to be repeated to me over and over. Use your voice. You don't have to yell at people. But you have to use your voice effectively to let the players know that you're there. They know you're there. They're less likely to, to initiate something that's going to get them in trouble. That's going to cause penalty. That's going to you know, create ill will between the players. So announce your presence. Let them know that you know the authority is there. One of my favorite movies. Um, after the play segment, and so we've gone and we've gone during the play chunks, and now we're doing after the play, the chunks after the play, or dead ball officiating. You know, make sure everything's clear. Have have in your in your mind, you know, the all clear, whatever your all clear signal is for you. Everyone's going back to their huddle, including your team, the officials. And now you're ready for a football. So your dead ball officiated. That's one chunk. Everybody's going back. Colors are separated. Now you're ready for a football. Whether it's coming from the sideline or the or the, the player gave you the football, you've got that. Whatever your next segment is, you know, what, what, do you, what you do if you look at the clock or if you look at the the, uh, the new down marker, that's your next your next segment, your next chunk. Put the ball down, and now you start those good habits. Put the ball down, you change your lateral indicator, you start to count, you find your, your keys, you've made eye contact with the referee, your team is ready to go, you're back five to seven yards, preferably seven yards, you're focused in, you're ready for a snap, snap goes, you started your engine, now you're moving again. The key to being effective and, and to being consistent is to do this over and over and over again for you know, 150, 200 plays a game. To develop these habits, again, a habit is an unconscious act, these good habits that you do every play. You don't have to think about it, it comes automatically. And then when something out of the ordinary occurs, you're prepared to handle it. You can take time Analyze what's going on and and make a decision or help the crew. Questions so far? All right. All right. Segment busters. What are the things that can get us in trouble? What can take us out of our rhythm? Injuries, okay. Uh, uh, my mentor of mine always told me that there were 
um, several things that killed football games, penalties, injuries, and fights. We can't control injuries. Players are going to get hurt. We, 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 to some degree, we can manage the fouls that we call. Um, you know, if you have a play clock, a visible play clock, well, you can't do a whole lot about a delay of game. If you're not using a visible play clock, you, know, you can you can stretch it a little bit. Delays of game, delay of game, um, and and fights. You can do your best to prevent teams from getting into it by being a presence, by making sure you're you're in there with the players, by catching those cheap shots and penalizing them. Get warnings to the coaches. You know, talk to the players. You can do a lot of preventative officiating to trying to minimize the, uh, the fight factor. Distractions. Now, what are some distractions? One of the, one thing that always kind of got under my skin and I struggled with was what I called a needy player. And there's, there's almost always one on every team that after every play, he wants your attention. He or she wants your attention because they're being held, or you know the, the the other team has their hand in their face all the time. And no matter what you say, no matter how you deal with that player, they never believe you. Or you know they they they, they just keep coming back with more. And that's one of the things that I discovered that took me out of my rhythm, where I could kind of feel my, my Myself getting out of my zone. It was one of, the, and I could feel my emotions kind of rising a little bit because who's this guy telling me? You know, he's a he's a tight end. I'm not looking at the tight end, but I'm not going to tell him that. You know, I'm going to try and make him feel that I that I'm listening to him that we're going to be watching. So, kind of identify what are the things that distract you from maintaining your focus. Um, I don't know how you guys on the line of scrimmage do it, but you know, you've got people in your all game long. How do you manage that? How do you how do you keep that from affecting you know, your your performance on every play? This is big penalty enforcement. You've got to own it. You've got to own penalty enforcement. And there are three important things when it comes to effective and efficient penalty enforcement you have to have a penalty marker down as soon as the play is over and, and and you hear that funny whistle you see a penalty marker down you know communicate to the referee hey we've got flag down now is it a spot foul or not does that official need to move their flag and if they do they should take care of that before reporting to the to the referee do we have a football down to mark the end of the run that's important also. You're doing all this so that the referee gets the overall picture. If it was not a run, if it was an incomplete pass, you've got the previous start, uh, the previous spot, excuse me. Are the chains staying put? Is that down box where it's supposed to be? Okay. Uh, and previous spot also has to do with the position, the lateral position of the ball. Which you have on your hand, the lateral indicator, previous spot with the 25 yard line position too. 
Yeah, that's from where we're going to enforce the foul. Listen, when the official's coming into the room to the report to the referee, be there to listen to that conversation so that you get the information. Coordinate your penalty enforcement. With whom are you going to enforce the penalty? Who's going to walk with you? Who's on the who's on the uh, on the chain? And from where will you be enforcing that foul? How do you do that? Do you have hand signals? Do you, are you using your radio to communicate it all of it? Take charge of that and enforce the penalty accurately. Listen, you know what the foul is. You know it's it's holding. You know it's occurred behind the end of the run so you're going from that spot you're going 10 yards and you're enforcing the foul here's some uh plays that that i uh, i put on here uh, from the umpire's perspective that deal with some of the things i was talking about the first one we're going to look at here is a run play uh, between the tackles and how as an umpire where where we should most likely you know, be watching. As this the play develops, you see that the hole opens up in the middle, but the runner bounces outside. You know, and that's going to happen. But our area of responsibility at the snap is now point of attack. What is happening inside the tackle? That's where our focus is going to be. You know, we're looking. Everything looks fairly clean. A couple double team blocks. Nothing major. As the, now, as the play shifts outside, our area of responsibility changes. Okay. Once you feel that he's gone outside, now we shift out and we come and clean up. We dead ball officiate. Make sure that the colors separate, the players get up, and they go back to where they're supposed to be. Next play is a stretch play. Hopefully you're set before the snap. This umpire. But when I talk about flow and, and making your progression, as this play moves to the umpire's right, you want to kind of flow with it and move with your progression. This is an older uh, older game where there was no center judge. So the umpire, in this case, is going from the backside to the front. Backside to the second level. I think you can see when the line or, or, or a, a back come come in at the second level starts up high and falls down low. That's kind of how our, our progressions um, take place. With five officials, we're working referee is going to be on the right side. Let me ask you this, Lucky. Are the referees staying on the right side or are they alternating uh, depending on where the ball is fired or where the quarterback is left or right handed? Uh, they stay on the right side unless the quarterback's you know, right or left handed. So if he's left handed, they'll be on the left. Okay. I've started you know, getting away from that simply because you know, if you keep the referee on one side of the field, the right side of the quarterback, a lot easier for the for the umpire to understand that okay the tackle that I might have to help on is the opposite tackle from the referee as opposed to okay wait a minute now where's the referee I gotta think about something else. just something to think about um, you know I, I think it makes things a little more consistent but stretch plays you flow 
and then help out as needed. Here is the uh, screen pass. Watch the umpire's movement here. And you start to read pass. Now you can see all the big linemen start to move out. As soon as you see them break and start to go out and you, and you read screen pass, um, you know, you should try and get in as, as much as you can to officiate from the inside out. So pass, pass, screen, you know, move in a little bit and pivot and pick up the linemen. Linemen in open space don't stop on a dime, and they tend to block low. Um, and we have low blocking rules. You see there's a low block by a lineman that came out there with now in college, that's a foul, but um, in high school, you can't block below the waist. So we need to pick up where those linemen are, are going on screen passes. That is your area of responsibility. I think you might recognize this guy. But umpires now are, are, are uh, responsible to help with a lot of other things on passes other than just you know, the quarterback coming up the line of scrimmage is a trap, you know, a catch, no catch. You can help with targeting. Uh, you can help with, um, you know, late hit over the middle. And so that's why I encourage you, umpires, to turn on all passes, regardless of the type of pass. You know, if, if you read it's a deep pass, you know, you can you feel that you know, it's, it's going way downfield, you may not have to turn as quickly. I would still suggest that you turn and start to head downfield. One of two things are going to happen. It's going to be a completed pass. You're going to go down there anyway to spot the ball, or it's incomplete. And now you're helping with the dead ball activity and then moving to a position to get a new football. Okay. And, and you see what happens. You get the result of the play. If there's a foul or anything of that nature, you can give that information to the referee. Come on down, we've got a completed pass and we've got a penalty. Or it's incomplete, we're coming back. Let's see what this umpire is. Oh, man. Recognize that guy, Lucky? Hey, I like what the umpire does there. Yeah, doesn't. Doesn't feel the need to move up to the line of scrimmage. He's in a good position. He's settled. He can see the action going on. Pass goes, turns, and he gets a look at the action. You know, that's a play right there where he can help with, you know, if there was a trap, if the receiver you know, muffed the ball, as in this case, and then stuck his arms out and, and tried to catch it, did he hit the ground, did it not. These types of plays, umpires, this is your time to shine. You know, Turn, look, incomplete, one nice incomplete signal, that's your time to shine. If it's close, if it's a trap, you know, it's a bang-bang type of play, kind of like, uh, you know, a, a, a runner sliding in at home plate and it's safe and everybody's, you know, it's a winning run, really close play, give an emphatic incomplete, one incomplete sign, that's your time to shine. What else we have here on this play?
Same thing, not a whole lot of movement. A deeper pass, and he still turns. You know, we still need to turn to see the action. Look at the trajectory of this ball. It's high. So these are the types of pass plays where you can help with the targeting. The receiver goes up to try and get the ball, and he gets lit up by a defender, and they hit him high. You know, the, the, your back judge may be just looking at whether or not there's a catch or not, doesn't see that defender coming in, isn't sure where the contact is, but because you're turning and you're focused and you're looking at the defender, you can be the one to get that. And if, or you might be the one who's, who saw the contact and, and and saw that it was legal. And you can take the back judge off of a potential target. <clears throat> we got the one edge that side. All right, strive for excellence. You wanna be number one, be the best official you can be on the field that, that night. Help your crew be the best crew working on a Friday night. You're the hub, everything revolves around you, own that. And that's it. Hey guys, if you want, if you want to unmute yourself and, and ask a question, uh, feel free. But make sure you put your mute back on when you're done asking the question, please. Hey Frank, did uh, any of your baseball background help you with uh, football? Yeah, um, I think the timing aspect in, in baseball, especially working working home plate. You know. I, you know, let the pitch come in, think about it a little bit. Yes, it's a strike, then come out and, and give you, give you a, an indication. Kind of similar to how I look at processing fouls. You know, that, that there's restriction. It's a grab. Grab and restrict, grab and restrict, grab, and now he released him. Okay, it's not a foul. Oh, he's got him, he's got him, he's got him. Yeah, he's taken him to the ground. That's a foul. You know, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, it's a foul strike. Foul. I think that that kind of helped me um, with my tempo as far as processing whether or not something is, is, a, is a foul. Uh, it also, you know, helped me. You know, baseball is kind of a different animal. Coaches come out and, you know, and challenge. Can't do that necessarily so much in football, but you still, from time to time, have to have to deal with a, with a coach who wants a question. A timeout or a player. So having that in, in baseball, I think, kind of you know, prepared me a little bit for when I started working football. <clears throat> and and the angles. You know, you want to get the angle of, you know, you're working a two-man system and you're inside and you got to play at second base. You have to find the best angle to see the slide and the tag and the bag. Well, first base, you want to get that that optimal window so that you can hear the, the ball hit the glove, see the foot on the bag, and see the first baseman's foot on the edge as well. All right? That taught me that angles are important. I have a question in reference to the way you stand after you place the ball. So you're about 
maybe let's say seven, eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. What's your per- preference, standing straight up or like in a semi-squat? Uh, my, my preferred position is, is with uh, knees bent and hands on my thighs, on the, you know, in a squat. And, and, you know, my weight is even you know, on the balls of my feet so that I can, I can move with the snap. But it also depends on what formation is being presented to me by the defense. In other words, can I see the ball? If I have to, if I have to, if I can't move laterally to see the football, and, and I like to stay inside the guards, I don't want to get outside the guards. If I can't see the football, you know, moving from one side to the other, then I might, I might take a step closer. I might be six yards, and I might be standing up so that I can get that angle to kind of see over the nose guard to see the football and to see at least two of my keys to start. But all things being considered and being equal, if there's, you know, if I have a, a clear view of the football, I like to stand, you know, knees bent, hands on my thighs. It's it's your personal preference. What's going to make you most comfortable to officiate the play? If it's standing up, that's you know, that's great. If if you're, you know, hands on your knees type of thing, uh, that's fine too. As long as as long as that works for you and puts you in the best position to officiate. The start of the play. Who was your uh, most? Uh, who? What? What mentor helped you the most come up along your way? Oh, there's so many. Uh, but my current mentor is Matt Jordan. He's 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 a current umpire in the in the uh, Pac-12. Matt uh, took me under my wing when I started working junior college football. I used to send him uh, my tapes from the game. <laughs> You know, I would leave a blank VHS tape in a self-addressed stamped vanilla envelope for the coach and ask them for a copy of the game. And if I got it, I would send it to Matt. Matt would look at it, and he would make a comment on every play. And so he was, he get me, when he got into the Pac-10, he invited me to USC practices. And I would, uh, and this is where the days were, when Pete Carroll was a coach. Back when they were when they were national champions, and their practices were unlike anything I have experienced since. They were like games. They went at it. It was the best experience, the best experience I could get outside of actually working a Pac-10 game at that time. And that was when I was just starting out. So he really um, did a lot to help me get better. You know, and there were obviously. The, Bunch of others. Al Corey, who was a, uh, an umpire in the Mountain West, is the one that recommended me to Ken Rivera. Just, just, just a whole bunch. But, but my current mentor, Matt Jordan, probably really uh, went out of his way to help me. Do you have any good Land Clark stories? <laughs> Uh, I have, yeah, several. You know, Land is often misunderstood. Uh, I think he's a great guy. I think he's got a great sense of humor. And the one story that comes to mind, we uh, we were assigned to the Holiday Bowl, and uh, I believe it was 2000 and, uh, in San Diego. It was, it was Nebraska and Washington. And Nebraska had 
and beat the crap out of Washington early in the year. And it turned out that they were matched up in the Holiday Bowl. And it was uh, Steve Sarkeesian was the Washington coach. And Nebraska was the, the, the madman. I can't remember his name. Not Polini. Uh, he's, he's at Youngstown now. But he was, he could really, really get angry. Anyway, it wasn't going Nebraska's way. Washington was, was battling him. They were in the game. And at one point, Washington went ahead. And time started running down. And, and we had a foul. Both of us had a, a, a foul for holding against Nebraska in their end zone, resulting in a safety. Well, Nebraska head coach, he just blew his top. He slamming his headset on the ground. And uh, we went to media timeout after that. And he called Landover and chewed Land up one side and down the other. And Land stood there and took it. And then he walked over to me and I said, what was that all about? And I said, oh. in, in, in typical Land Clark delivery deadpan, said, I don't think he liked our holding call. And he <laughs> turned and walked away. <laughs> and that was it. It's just classic Land. It was as if it didn't affect him whatsoever. Like he went over and had the most pleasant conversation with the coach. Came back and said, ah, he just didn't like our own guy. So that's, that's about the only, uh, you know, there's no dirt. I don't have any dirt on land, but he's, he's a good man. I mean, he, he's done well and he helped me out as well, too. That's a great story. We got time for one or two more questions, guys. Holding. Um, so when you're looking for holding and uh, grabbing restrict in the tackle boxes, obviously there's a lot of grabbing and stuff. Um, but one thing that I've tried to look for is like change of strides in the defender. Is there a better way to look for something like that? Uh, it's it, Again, it's, it's all what, what, what jumps out to you. What I like to, to tell people is make that, make that whole jump out at you, especially in, when it's in inside the tackles, you know, a run at the point of attack inside the tackles. You want to see – big restriction. Um, there's several indicators that we can, you know, we can talk about, you know, where are the hands? Are the hands outside the frame? Okay, that's an indicator. Uh, I call it bad body language. And that might be the same to you as, as uh, are they taking their feet away? You know, unnatural movements made by a defender that are really being caused by the offensive player's bad position. If you've heard, you know, um, some of the presentations that are going around. I know Steve Strimling and I do one that we got from Carl Sheffers. He calls it a bad crack. You know, the butt crack of the lineman should be facing the running back, whoever has the ball. And if he's got bad crack, then he's more likely to have to do something illegal to restrict that defender. So, yeah, I have several indicators that I look at, and that's you know, what's the position of the offensive player making a block you know, where are his hands and what type of movement do I see from the defensive player? You know, if, if he's trying to get out, but he can't, you know, then he that means that that offensive player is restricting him. And if it's at the point of attack, that's going to be a foul. You know, you see a sudden jerk, that's not a natural body movement, and they both go down, you can bet that that offensive player has snatched him down. So I have several indicators that I look at to help me process that 
And then I take that information and did it have an effect on the play? Is it at the point of attack? Is it a takedown? I make my decision. Anyone else? Hey, Frank, you gonna keep the beard for the season? No. Oh. <laughs> not unless everyone else does. Not unless they make an appointment to keep the beard. Uh, but no. Uh, hopefully this has to come off um, very soon. Hey, that looks familiar. That's the one. <laughs> Do you want to close us out and, and thank our guests for me? Yes, sir. Hey, Frank, appreciate it. Thanks for all the knowledge and uh, the uh, four-page notes that I got down. Um, <laughs> and I uh, really appreciate you taking time out this evening and talking to the crew and answering questions. I uh, hope everybody got a lot out of it. Um, yeah, I, I hope this helps. And again, you know, this is this was kind of directed at, at umpires, but I think regardless of your position, if you, if you got one thing out of this, great. You know, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, use whatever you can. Feel free to, to, to try some of the things. And make it fit into your, into your officiating toolbox. You know, the, the things you use to manage a game, to, to manage your position, and then own your position. Be the best official at your position every night that you're out there. Great. Yeah, that's 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 what I got out of uh, SAS last year. You know, own your position and make your crew better. So appreciate you, Frank, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Good luck, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll see everybody on the field in the fall. Thank you, Frank. Appreciate it. And if, if not lucky, uh, you know, I might have some availability in the fall. Lucky, so all right. Just let me know. Let me know. I'll put you to work. I'm good. <laughs> good night, everyone. Thank All you, right. sir. Have a good one. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Right, and then in the webinar, and uh, <clears throat> appreciate everyone showing up again tomorrow, 6 p.m. Roscoe, talk more about umpire. Mike Contreras on Thursday. Pierre Friday and Brad Rogers Saturday. Hope to see everybody then. Thanks, Dennis. See you tomorrow.